Hello, and welcome to The Money Movement, where we explore the issues and ideas driving this brave new world of digital currency and blockchains. Um, really excited for this week's show. Uh, we've got some great guests that I'm going to talk about in a minute, um, but I, I want to contextualize a little bit first. So we, we've talked a lot about global macro issues, um, how that relates to stable coins and digital currency. And I know a lot of the discussion um, around cryptocurrency in general and stable coins specifically is, is around sort of the currency side of this. What, what does this do to the world of currencies, central bank currencies, non-sovereign currencies, and has to do with, you know, are we creating a new payment system? What are these innovations? And obviously we think that's really critical and important. Um, but I think when we talk about the blockchain part of this, um, the, the implications are far, far more profound. Um, and so part of what I wanted to do today is really dive deeper into some things that we touched on in, in a couple of the earlier episodes with other guests, which is how can this technology be used for reconstructing the very nature of corporations? Um, what role can this technology play in reshaping how governance happens um, among collaborating people, among collaborating entities, and really thinking about the technology disruption that's happening right now, this public infrastructure that's being built out as allowing for really fundamental innovations in microeconomic uh, institutions. So you have, you know, in economics, you've got macroeconomics and you've got microeconomics and microeconomics is really the the theory of the firm. And I think really for the first time in a really long time, we have a technology that's global that allows us to really reconceptualize the very essence of what corporate forms are, how they can be constructed, how they can be governed, how individuals and society at large can interact with them. And that's really exciting. Um, you know, we, we use this early metaphor of uh, the transformation of modern capitalism where innovations like the joint stock corporation were created uh, and then ways in which financial markets or capital markets could exist, uh, ideas like shareholder capitalism, et cetera, all grew out of this. And it feels like we're accelerating into a new world, a world of global digital corporate forms that are actually created in software and mediated by blockchains. And so today we're joined by three really exciting uh, individuals, uh, thinkers and innovators, including economics professor James Potts and the innovative co-founders of two really important projects, uh, Luis Cuende of Aragon and Aaron Wright of Open Law. Uh, and we're gonna be exploring the future of corporations in the age of blockchains. So to help us frame the big picture ideas here, I'm very pleased to welcome Professor of Economics and Director of the Blockchain Innovation Hub at RMIT University, Professor James Potts. Welcome, Jason. Thank you, Jeremy, good to be here. I really appreciate uh, you joining us. Uh, Australia time, I'm very impressed. And uh, and I think all of the uh, the viewers here are gonna be uh, you know, thrilled with your <laughs> willingness to do that. 
Yeah, it's just like getting up for an early morning flight. It's, it's, it's good to be here. That's fabulous. Well, well, thanks. So, Jason, I know you've been um, exploring really foundational ideas for how corporate forms might evolve in the blockchain era. Um, and, and there's a lot in that sentence and what that means, but you know, you, you've been really exploring these ideas. Um, maybe talk to us for a moment about your journey in getting there and, and what some of those high-level thoughts have been. Yeah, so the, the basic question we've been asking ourselves is, is, is not just you know, what sort of new products are we gonna see in an economy in consequence of blockchain and cryptocurrencies, but what is this gonna do? What is this technology gonna do to the structure of the economy? And economists have long been thinking about this with, from the perspective of um, what we call sort of transactions costs or this question of um, the, the economics of governance. Do all economic activity takes place in firms or markets or, um, or in governments? And the determination of where it takes place is a function of the costs of organization, the costs of information, the costs of using markets, and as we think as well, the costs of trust. And you know, for, since the Industrial Revolution, what we've seen is that most, um, you know, most industries and most economies are made up of some things get made in firms because firms have scalar economies and they can exploit sort of the advantages of management and organization and hierarchy to do things very efficiently. And then other things are coordinated in markets because markets are very, very good at using distributed information and coordinating with, with price mechanisms. And then governments do other things when you've got market failure, when you've got sort of um, what externalities um, like you know, pollution or other sort of things that markets or firms aren't very good at coping with. And our sort of high level view on this is that for the first sort of 250 years of modern capitalism, we've had firms, markets and governments as the, as the sort of coordinating devices. Now we've got blockchains. And what this means is that some of the activity that used to take place in firms, markets and governments will move to blockchains. And the question is how much on what margins and why? And our sort of over, our view of this is that this pushes more activity into markets. Um, large corporate hierarchical firms will start to shrink and, and disaggregate into smaller forms. And some of the activities that governments used to do will also shift to blockchain. So we'll end up with a different, a sort of um, effectively a more market oriented, smaller firmed, more agile um, and more globally distributed economic structure. And that's an enormous transformation. And this is, you know, in many ways, what you're describing is, you know, we, ha we have this arc of the internet, right? We've got the past, whatever you want to say, 30 years, and it's, it's connected everyone everywhere. And it's sort of, the, the, that it's a decentralized system. It's, uh, it's, it's allowed for greater degrees of, of communication, coordination, uh, mobile devices obviously have unleashed, you know, uh, you know, more, in some ways, more distributed forms of, of collaboration and corporate interaction. So we sort of had this, this, this sort of layer of the internet already driving us, accelerating this, this, this new kind of arena, but there's been, you know, this missing piece, which is, you know, how do you create the substance of what a corporation is, um, you know, on, in software that is enforceable in software that can work on the internet. And it feels like, um, the, the, the theoretical evolution that you're seeing and the technological evolution that's happening with this public blockchain infrastructure is it's really allowing us to 
as you said, kind of re rethink uh, where coordination happens, how it happens, where value exchange happens. It's like this really this fundamental restructuring of the substrate of what economic activity is. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so the internet gave us communication. It really dramatically lowered the cost of communicating just um, with, you know, in a peer-to-peer -peer sense and around the world. But what blockchain has given us as the layer on top of that is the industrialization of trust itself. It enables us, a party, to trust a counterparty without knowing them. And in a lot of ways, what corporations were doing was facilitating a sort of nexus of contracts or a nexus of trust where you could trust all of the parties within the organization, but not those outside. And they, you had to use you know, lawyers and um, regulation contracts and other sorts of mechanisms to get trust between corporations or between business partners, but within them. Yeah. That was a zone of trust, but that was expensive. You had you have a huge amount of, of organizational infrastructure to create and manufacture that trust. Um, what blockchain does is essentially enable parties and counterparties to trust, um, or just to, to have you know true verifiable records of the of the facts before them that they're dealing with, which mm -hmm. essentially pushes. Um, markets inside corporations, it lowers the cost of, mm -hmm. of, of dealing. And what that means is that this, we should expect to see that um, the sort of fragmentation and modularization of organizations into smaller forms, mm -hmm. not to manufacture that, that um, sort of trust. So the industrialization of trust is what has happened with this technology. And that's going to lead to a um, new sort of types of economic organization and patterns of, of organization that take advantage of that new lower cost of this input into business. Right. So th this sort of gets to this question of, um, you know, we have we have these legal frameworks. We have, uh, you know, uh, you know, equity in Delaware corporations or in a Singapore corporation or, or you're relatively consistent to somewhat consistent common law around some of those things around the world. You have you have the, the sort of rights and entitlements and then you have a whole set of record keeping and and, and enforcement and, and so on. Do you envision that um, the sort of new entirely digital forms will come into place that in some ways um, are more trustworthy than those established legal systems and that are just enforced by machines uh, on the internet. Yeah, so I think this is exactly what we're going to see, Jeremy. This, um, what, what is being replaced here is essentially this idea of a nation state jurisdiction where within this sort of zone of, of the nation state, um, there's a sort of uniform body of laws and contract and enforceable enforcement mechanisms. Instead, when we've got sort of software mediated um, internet um, um, networked um, platforms, um, these platforms can be as big or as small as they need to be. Um, there's no real sort of scale issues with that. They can also be multiple, they can overlap. Um, yeah. They could be um, built publicly, they could be built privately, they could be built in public private partnerships. Um, they could be very um, specific for purpose and they could be layered and stacked on top of each other. So what we'd actually have again is the sort of industrialization of the layer of, of corporate governance or the, the platform layer upon which corporate governance mm -hmm. actually works. And you know, th this is what this is what smart contract entrepreneurs are able to build now. Um, now, you know, the question is who builds these? Is it the tech companies? Is it, um, is it the social media companies? Is it law firms? Is it, you know, is it yeah. regulators themselves? Um, the answer is probably all of the above. Um, we'll, you know, we'll get to see who builds the best ones. But in essence, um, it's not just that the firm chooses, it's that 
for that you know the two parties to the contract will need to choose the same platform and once they do that we've we've got um, a, a world of, of effectively um, private law private ordering law now incredibly that was more or less what we had back in the middle ages um, with a lot of the sort of trading empires and um, true trading parties would choose which jurisdiction they were going to um, contract in and again that's a huge opportunity for the um, for industrialization and potential sort of huge productivity gains that can come from um, rebuilding the legal and contracting infrastructure, not just of nations, but of, of regions and, and the entire world. Yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think individuals who wanna collaborate, contribute labor, create things, exchange value, um, you know, if, if there's a direct way for them to participate that safely in a trust minimized fashion, um, where where you know the, where value exchange can happen, um, and that's that's enforceable in in audible known ways, um, but on a on a global internet platform, that's obviously really really exciting. So what do you see? Um, you know, three five years out uh, from now, you've sort of seen the arc of this technology. We seem to be at an inflection point with uh, COVID and the acceleration of digitalization. You know. Where, where do you see this in, yeah. in three or five years? Look, I think we've come a very long way in 10 years. And, you know, we've come from a sort of the very first sort of cryptocurrency through smart contracts, through a lot of experimentation in these platforms. Um, the thing about what COVID gave us was a massive acceleration of adoption. And not just that, but a coordinated adoption. Everyone did this at once. So we've, so we've got a lot of experimentation that's just happened. Um, what we're seeing with a lot of governments um, taking up central bank digital currencies and other sort of very accelerated digitization processes, I think is, is going to accelerate this. But to me, the big one is trade regions. Um, I think this with the globe, the, you know, the entire world trading order is, has just been disrupted. Yeah. And I don't think it'll rebuild in the same way. And the opportunities for it to rebuild on a digital platform yeah. rather than through you know, the WTO negotiated trade regions, I think is the, that's the most exciting thing we've got right now. We've got the technological capabilities to do that. I think there's going to be a lot of demand to rebuild our um, trade platforms and supply chains in a far more robust and lower cost way. Yeah. So that my bet is, is that trade regions will look very different and they'll be based upon, they'll be digital trade regions mm -hmm. and blockchain based trade regions. Um, and to me, that's, that's hugely exciting. And a lot of uh, smart people getting together on the internet to figure it out. Uh, as, as they always have. As they always have. Jason, this has been a, a really excellent conversation. I've really enjoyed the work that you and your colleagues have published. I think there's, there's really important stuff. And I think more and more attention is clearly going to be put on this restructuring of the, the microeconomic layer um, and, and then how that plays out into you know, these broader economic arrangements. So thank you so much for joining and uh, look forward to keeping in touch, Jason. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Absolutely. So economic theory uh, and these, this sort of broader thinking is also obviously right now meeting transformative technology and sort of the rubber meets the road with building this in practice. And I think arguably one of the most innovative projects in the world that is doing that right now is Aragon. And joining us to discuss all of this is Luis Quende, co-founder of Aragon. Welcome, Luis. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeremy. Look at you with your nice audio setup. I'm, I'm, I'm a little jealous. That's, that's pretty nice. Yeah, we, you know, we work remotely for years, so like this is not new for us. Yeah, excellent. I, nice. I tried to 
upgrade my, you know, my audio. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Um, well, awesome. Thank you for joining. Um, I've been really excited about and a fan of, of what you guys are up to. I think, um, you know, I, I think people who are active in, in this space, in this industry may know Aragon, but I, I think there's a lot of people who are kind of tuning in and, and coming up to speed on what's happening with digital currency, what's happening with blockchains. Um, let's start with the basics. Um, you know, what, what is Aragon? Give us uh, a couple minutes on, you know, what it is that you're building and maybe obviously with the context of, of the introduction with Jason, uh, obviously I, I, there's some connectivity there to, to these ideas. Yeah, definitely. So the the reason we co-founded Aragon in the first place was because we saw these smart contract platforms as being extremely powerful ways to organize people across the world at scale. And so basically we thought these smart contracts can be put in a way that people can create organizational structures very easily. Basically, same as I, as you could put together Lego blocks to create like a bigger structure um, and kind of like adapt it to whatever you want to build. And so Aragon is the Lydian uh, DAO platform. And DAOs are this concept uh, that I just commented on, like this concept that you can create organizations that are extremely flexible, extremely open, and they are, they are powered by code, ultimately. The interesting thing for me and the, the way that I'm trying to like define these, these DAOs and what really and how really they are different from traditional kind of like internet communities is because DAOs and cryptocurrencies and smart contracts give us this ability to actually attract and incentivize new contributions, uh, to pull funds over the internet with no friction whatsoever, and then for large groups of people to govern these funds together and actually take action. So the way I've been talking about it is with the first web in the 90s, people were able to actually write stuff uh, and blog posts and you know publish it on, into the internet. And then we had web two, and with Web2, people were able to also comment and discuss on those blog posts, that content. And then now we have Web3. And Web3 allows for those people to not only be able to discuss stuff, but actually make it happen. So there's a lot of chatter on Twitter. There's a lot of chatter on social media. But actually, very few um, of that chatter actually creates something tangible in the world. If you want to get in, if you want to be part of an organization, and you can join that organization and it's not just like a Facebook group. It's actually like an organization where there's decisions that are made and there's governance and there's voting and there's money, um, which is like what a, what a corporate form kind of is like you, you can do that. And, and it's not like some hosted platform you're, by building on public blockchains, right? You're, you're building something that is this sort of, it exists as a machine enforceable, you know, machine enforceable infrastructure that, anyone can, can inter interact with and they're not like paying for a service like uh, a hosting service. It's just, it's sort of a corporate form on the internet that you can control entirely as a, as a community. Yeah, exactly. And you can think like the, I think the simplest example is you can have Telegram groups and people discuss there, but what if you give them a shared like piggy bank? What if you give them incentives so that people have to uh, like be members of it? And then like if the group becomes more valuable and they do things, they can sell those uh, like tokens or memberships and like profit from that, right? So like it's a bit of like incentives and, and governance um, all in one. And I hope one day we can arrive to that. Literally like a Telegram group becomes an organization. Yeah. So I think um, obviously you guys have evolved a ton and you're, you're moving at a really good pace as a project. It's really cool. Um, like these building blocks, uh, you know, when I think about a corporation, right, you've got like, you, you know, you've got membership in some way, you have individuals, you, you, you need to have a, a way to have, uh, 
uh, voting around issues. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of building blocks that basically allow you to assemble a, a corporate form out of smart contracts and, and, and pretty self-service too. But what are the building blocks that you guys have uh, today for setting up one of these types of, you know, digital uh, organizations? So one of them is tokens. Tokens are these, uh, tokens are basically whatever you mean you give to, to them, right? But usually they mean membership in the organization. And they serve the purpose of also aligning incentives so that uh, usually a community wants tokens to become valuable and then everyone in that community uh, basically appreciates with the, with the value. And so there's tokens, there is voting. Actually, the funny thing about voting is that uh, it sits in the middle, but people actually don't like to vote that much. So the way I've, I've been trying to look at it lately is that voting maybe the new like. Um, and if we make it easier and easier, then it will actually become the new like. Um, and then there is this stuff like, you know, obviously like finance and, and, and fund management. And the cool thing about these uh, DAOs also is that they can participate in DeFi protocols. So they can actually do a stuff with their funds very easily and earn, earn yield, participate in staking networks. And so that is very powerful. Yeah. I mean, so um, you have these building blocks, people can create these things um, and, and there's, there's sort of, it's trust minimized, but there's also trust there because you know who's participating and they can make decisions together and, and then this 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 treasury, you know, that's the other big thing when you think about what is a corporation, right? It's it's tokens like equity, like uh, influence, voting, decision making. But then oftentimes that that voting and decision making is on top of a treasury, right? And so the 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 beautiful thing I think is that you guys, like you said, you're you're able to plug into DeFi. You're you're able to support stable coins. I think you guys support a number of stable coins, but the ability to kind of move dollar value um, into one of these to, you know, have an individual maybe who is, you know, uh, they're, they're getting paid out of the treasury uh, for work they've completed and people could vote that yes, the, the, the work is completed or other things like that. So how are you, how are you bringing together the, the, like the innovation of stable coins with, um, you know, with Aragon, uh, you know, digital organizations built with Aragon? Yeah, it's been world changing for us. Like we used to, and we still dog food our own product for everything. So like, for example, even payroll comes from one of our uh, DAOs that we have um, in our team. And so people used to have their payroll in Ether and Ether used to fluctuate so much. So like depending on the month, people would like make money or lose money. Um, stable coins change all of that. And I think it is so important because ultimately DAOs want to reward people for their work, right? That is the whole point. Um, and you cannot do that in, in tokens that like fluctuate drastically. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think there's these bigger concepts and we touched on that with Jason um, when we got started, sort of, you know, if the joint stock corporation um, and, and the legal frameworks around that sort of have defined modern capitalism, you know, what, you know, what's going to define this, this sort of new digital age? Do you think it's going to be these new um, decentralized, you know, internet uh, driven distributed organizations uh, like what you guys are enabling? Yeah, definitely. I think internet communities have been already there for a while, but I think giving them this like unprecedented power to actually take action, manage real funds um, and govern all of those together are going to give them a completely new scale. If we look at problems like climate change, it is very hard for a single actor or company or even nation state to tackle these problems. If we have this like supranational, totally global, very low barrier to entry structures, we might have a shot at actually solving these problems. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously this this um, it raises really profound questions, and I think a lot a lot of times, um, you, know, you know, one of the first things people say, well, you know, 
how do I, you know, if, if I'm involved in this and someone, you know, uh, you know, steals something or, or does something uh, wrong or breaks a covenant, right? We, we have courts um, in, the, in the real world now, granted enforcing something in a foreign jurisdiction in this highly globalized way is, is difficult. Um, I, you know, I, I know um, last week we had uh, Claris on talking about their decentralized arbitration system. Um, you guys are also really being thoughtful about how can communities self-govern and, and, you know, do we, do we, do we evolve to a world of decentralized, a decentralized justice system, online courts that are really specific to these digital organizations and, and, and the activity that's happening in them? Yeah, exactly. And the way we look at it is also not even um, as a standalone product, but something that plugs into the organization itself. Like uh, you can basically have an organization in which you define like an English written agreement. And then that agreement also kind of like complements the smart contracts because there are a bunch of things that you cannot encode in computer code, right? Like human server complex machines. And so this court enables for stuff like that can be used for stuff like content moderation, uh, can be used for adding items to lists. We are running now a president campaign in which like we have different Aragon apps that are eligible for some um, rewards. And then this Aragon, uh, our court, Aragon court is basically deciding like which ones get in or not into that list. So like, you know, it is like baby steps. Um, I don't think it's ready to totally replace a court uh, yet, or it would probably not be for like the next few years um, or God knows if it will be, but it is really promising. Yeah. Well, I mean, when eBay and Amazon and Alibaba were like little sites where people were trading things, like we didn't think that they would take over the entire global supply chain. So got to start somewhere. Um, it, it's really exciting. Maybe last, uh, last item, which is, you know, for, for sort of, for, for projects in the world today or companies in the world today, you know, what are some concrete ways that they could um, begin tapping into this and, and using it? Um, and, and if you want to share an example or two, that'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely. I think more than like companies, uh, it's communities. Um, I think, I mean, companies can also like use the AOs, like we ourselves use the AO, but uh, communities are super interesting. Like for example, there's this virtual world in VR called Decentraland that is owned by its users. And they have this DAO that they use. So users absolutely govern everything in the platform. So it's extremely helpful. One thing that I've been also involved with uh, is called HelpDAO. And the idea is to allow for people to create like very small localized help squads of volunteers and supervisors who are able to donate um, funds and also receive donations all over the internet and then give those donations to people in need. So the idea is that you don't need to wait for these like big, like kind of a slow moving nonprofits to, to actually take action. You can like a thousand like decentralized organizations bloom that actually tackle these problems in a very small scale. So yeah, I think online communities are, are wonderful. And I think we're moving towards a world where there's going to be more and more communities. With the unemployment we have right now um, and the need for meaning as a civilization, I think communities are the way to go. I, I love it. It's so exciting, Luis. Um, really appreciate you joining us to, to share your vision and share where you guys are at. And we'll be tracking it really closely and, and wish you really continued success. And uh, we'll talk really soon, Luis. Thank you so much. Thank you. So these sort of on-chain corporate forms, on-chain economic communities, this is, I think, a really breakthrough idea. And, and I think there really is a kind of inevitability to it. Um, but I also think that we need to connect the dots between sort of our existing systems of governance and law and these open and machine-enforced worlds of smart contracts on blockchains. 
And joining us to explore the connection between real law and blockchain contracts is Aaron Wright, who is the co-founder uh, at Open Law and professor at Cardozo, uh, uh, Cardoza Law School. Welcome, Aaron. Hey, uh, thanks so much for having me, Jeremy. Great conversation so far. Yeah, well, let's keep it going. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and uh, maybe to kick it off, I mean, Open Law really, the whole purpose of, uh, of our project uh, is to connect those dots. Uh, and this is, I think, an issue that's been long understood by uh, those that were thinking about uh, blockchain technology and even before that, the cypherpunks that really kicked off, um, you know, this entire ecosystem. Um, you know, there's only so much, like uh, Luis mentioned, that you can embody in code. Uh, there's other rights, risks, covenants, uh, reps and warranties, uh, which have legal significance, which are important. They manage risk. Uh, and they, in our minds, need to sit alongside these code-based provisions. And open law is uh, tooling that enables you to do that in a hyper-generic way. Uh, and since contracts, in our minds, are at least like the dark matter of the commercial world, they sit everywhere and are uh, poorly understood except by a small group of people. Um, you know, that's what we're, we've been able to do. Uh, build a set of tooling where you can have uh, things like representations and warranties, covenants, uh, uh, manage risk in different ways, uh, bake in or, you know, arbitration and dispute resolution provisions and have that sit and closely be coupled with the, the code-based provisions that may be managing an organization, maybe managing a commercial transaction, uh, et cetera. And the nice thing, at least in the U.S. and, and probably uh, most of the more advanced parts of the world, these contracts, these hybrid contracts that have code and natural language provisions should be enforceable. So if things go wrong and, you know, that doesn't always happen, but it sometimes happens, mm -hmm. uh, it, it should be able to, to get administered and, and mediated either through online dispute resolution systems like what Luis was describing yep. uh, or by a traditional court. Um, yep. And I think that's important because that enables us to not only have this ecosystem kind of serving itself, but it, it enables this ecosystem to kind of scale uh, and begin to impact kind of the traditional legacy world. And, yeah. And that's what we've been fascinated with. It, I'm totally fascinated. Um, this, uh, you know, this, this concept of machine enforced contracts, but also mirroring the constructs of real world contracts, quote unquote, it, it's, it's totally fascinating. I think, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, an, an interesting dimension to this, I think is, um, you know, when you using analogies, like we, we sort of moved uh, to, you know, you know, things like DocuSign, right? People move from like, okay, we have this long thing. Uh, it's this contract and now we can actually sign it. It's a digital uh, contract. Um, this is sort of like taking it obviously to the completely next level. And, but it wasn't possible to do that before, right? We didn't have a public infrastructure where you could have machine enforced kind of business provisions that actually could affect things like the movement of money or or decisions or or things like that and so this you know public blockchains really obviously are like the breakthrough here and smart contract infrastructure the breakthrough but is this sort of like the natural progression where we go from you know uh you know paper-based uh fully human mediated uh in-person physical things into you know this intermediate digital form is this the sort of logical conclusion we're now going truly natively digital on even at the substrate of actually the contracts themselves. Yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, and that's what kind of brought me into the space. Um, I've been fascinated with this notion of computable contracts um, and uh, saw Ethereum and was fortunate enough to play a small role helping to launch Ethereum. Uh, and from the beginning, I think many of the folks that were launching and supporting Ethereum recognized that it's great to kind of have this foundational trust layer where you could settle assets 
um, it's great that you have tools to potentially pool assets, but you need also uh, kind of this digital contracting level and layer in order to really rebuild this global commercial stack. So in my mind, there's really three pieces when folks think about smart contracts. There's the base Ethereum level, there's a Ricardian contracting system, which is like uh, open law, which is a way to digitize agreements. And then there's the data feeds, the oracles that come mm -hmm. in. Uh, and it's that stack that I think folks are thinking about when they think about all these efficiencies that can happen to, to basic commercial transactions. Right. So um, maybe helping um, for, for, for folks new to these ideas. So the Ricardian contracts, right? These fundamental agreements, right? So with open law, you basically are, are creating a library of clauses, of, of terms uh, that, that are the building blocks of Ricardian law. And you're letting people assemble those into code so that they've essentially taken a contract and they've assembled the actual, you know, mechanics that are reflected in a traditional recording contract into code that is then right. deployed on online. Right. And then it sits seamlessly with the smart contract code, which is uh, the, the software that runs on Ethereum, the scripts that run on Ethereum that can move around assets, uh, can create assets. Um, these are things that lawyers do today, right? So when uh, right. creating a token, a lawyer today actually creates assets. They'll create stock certificates. They'll embody rights for intellectual property. So software can do a bit of that, uh, but you still need to kind of manage disputes, manage downside risks. And, and that's what, uh, at least right now, traditional agreements are, are the best at. Maybe in 50 years, if we want to yeah. go way out in the future, that yeah. may not be the case. But I think uh, for now, we, we still need some of those um, uh, some of those natural language provisions to sit alongside of them. Yeah. Uh, and we've been able to, to do that in, um, in a lot of different contexts. And I think the, the headline is also most of the major markets of the world are not based on assets, right? They're actually just contracts that are getting traded back and forth. So mm -hmm. as we build this ecosystem and as we build this stack, we'll hopefully be able to bring efficiency and also create new types of marketplaces for, for these types of arrangements. Right. I mean, tying back to some of the earlier discussion, right, we, we, we can see, you know, these sort of new global digital corporate forms that start to exist that people can freely interact with and collaborate with that are sort of nation state independent that exist on chain that exist on the internet, people can give value, get value. Um, and, you know, if you, you layer in this uh, enforceability uh, and agreement layer, it, it really starts to get pretty, pretty powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been exploring that uh, con uh, concept and, uh, and implementing that in a project called the Lao. Uh, so for folks that have been in the uh, blockchain uh, ecosystem for a while, they'll, they'll vividly remember a project called the DAO, uh, which was a you know venture capital fund that was running on Ethereum, uh, where they only use smart contracts to manage the pooling of assets, some of the voting mechanisms to deploy capital. And it was spectacular, right? It, it uh, launched with, I think, uh, limited ambition but everybody loved it uh, raised something like uh, 55 million dollars at the time it would would be a tremendous amount of value today given the appreciation appreciation of ether uh, but it ran into technical and legal issues uh, and the, the nice thing today because there's been so much innovation in the space the technical issues have been largely solved uh, we've been able to streamline kind of the core base smart contracts uh, so that you're able to pool capital uh, deal with governance related questions like voting and also accept uh, into this treasury, like you described it before, Jeremy, uh, assets from another organization. And we've wrapped that using open laws tooling um, with legal agreements to deal with uh, a number of the legal challenges that, that uh, were apparent and also raised by uh, the US government. Um, and we're able, that means in the US to begin to explore 
uh, DAOs in ways that comply and square with U.S. law um, and can hopefully begin to kind of uh, expand and experiment and, and grow uh, this ecosystem uh, and hopefully in a, in a responsible way. Yeah, it's very, very cool. Um, I guess uh, one, one question that relates to um, some of the work that Aragon's doing and Clara's, who we, we had on last week, um, what, where do you see decentralized uh, arbitration models or incentivized uh, decentralized arbitration models or online courts uh, uh, that are built on blockchains? How do you see that evolving? Is that going to involve in parallel? Is there a really clear intersection with, uh, with the work that you're doing? Yeah, on the open law side, we put together uh, something called uh, open law uh, or open court. Um, and what that does is it uses our tools uh, so that you can embed into any agreement an arbitration provision that also has smart contracts that can uh, deal with and mediate um, that process. Uh, I think one of the most underappreciated things about blockchain um, is the fact that, um, you know, you can use dispute resolution and have an arbitrator settle the dispute. Uh, that's radically different from how that happens today. Uh, mm -hmm. Even if you have a private arbitration, the arbitrator can render a decision, but you have to go to a physical court in mm -hmm. order to enforce that arbitration. So really for the first time in history, uh, we're able to, to begin to take some of the raw power that courts have in terms of enforcement uh, and represent that in, um, you know, in a uh, digital form. Uh, so that means that people have, for the first time, at least in theory, the ability to begin to administer disputes completely outside of the existing judicial system. And due to the laws that we have in place in both the U.S. and in most other major countries, the decisions of those arbitrators um, can be enforced. Uh, it's going to be yeah. hard for, uh, for that to get kind of unwound. So I think this is a fertile area. I think the demand for it is probably not there yet. Just because uh, usually people fight not over small dollar amounts, but large dollar amounts um, and outside of a few, you know, significant trades or significant, um, you know, economic activity, people are not yet ready, I think, in, in, in massive volumes to, to use these systems. Um, but if we talk in 10 years, uh, I have a feeling that we'll be talking a lot about these types of uh, these types of structures. Yeah, I mean, we're all um, interested in the various sort of tipping points in, in, in adoption here. Uh, as you know, like we're very focused on stable coins and their interaction as a, as a new global payment and settlement model. Um, you know, what do you think the, the tipping points are um, for, uh, you know, for, for this kind of uh, implementation of, of law? Yeah, I think I think we're we're getting there, right? I think a lot of the activity we've seen with blockchain technology right now is building up core market infrastructure. So, uh, building tools to um, like like stable coins, which uh, decrease volatility. Building basic market infrastructure uh, projects like uh, Compound, uh, resembling a basic money market account. Seeing derivatives and options and other forms of uh, financial uh, infrastructure that's necessary so that uh, traders can kind of manage risk. Um, and I think that's why DAOs are so important. Uh, it's really great to be able to trade assets, but to do something productive, you need to pull capital and deploy it. Yeah. Um, and to, to your point before, we've seen with every significant uh, in, you know, era of industrialization, and, and Jason touched on this too, uh, some innovation in terms of organizational forms. Um, I think that blockchains will, will present a new one called the DAO. Um, it's just a different architecture of how we're engaging in commerce, and that's going to result in a different architecture for an organization. Um, and this is not just with the joint stock company, but also with railroads, right? We saw railroads 
emerge. And uh, due to the way that uh, railroads were built, uh, lawyers and business folks uh, developed preferred stock. And now preferred stock is an incredibly important part of the corporate landscape. We saw oil shocks and the expansion of uh, global finance lead to LLCs or kind of a, a flatter structure, uh, which enable people to pull capital. And I think uh, DAOs are really the flattest structure uh, potentially that, that we can imagine. Um, and I don't think it's just going to lead to small organizations, but also massive global organizations. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, I think like um, we, we, we sort of now with the internet, we have sort of a perfect ability to coordinate uh, in terms of information exchange. And so we're, we're now like economic coordination is the next logical thing here. And, and everything we're talking about is essentially reinventing economic coordination for the digital age, for the internet. Um, and there's, you know, there's the governance side and there's the, the movement and storage and market infrastructure side and um, and these are all you know truly building blocks. Um, well, Aaron, this is this is great. I don't know if you have any uh, final comments, but it's super exciting what you're working on. Super impressed. Yeah, thank you. Thanks Excellent. so much for having me. You're welcome, Aaron. We'll talk very soon. Great. So all this is obviously, um, I think, very very exciting. Like we're literally talking about and seeing in front of us the building blocks for a future economic system. And I think without a doubt, all of these things are accelerations of a deeper, more full digitalization of the world. Um, there's, you know, this sort of talk these days about the pandemic economy and how it's, uh, you know, it's, it's giving years of acceleration in terms of how corporations operate digitally. I think the, the logical evolution here is it's going to accelerate the development of a, a completely new infrastructure for how economic coordination um, happens. I think we've touched on these analogies to the early web, uh, but you know, unlike the web of information, this is the internet of value, and I think the impact is likely far, far greater. Uh, so uh, really good discussion this week. Um, next week, we've got an episode. We're going to be diving into international movement of value, international payments, moving value between markets, between currencies, the role of stable coins in that. It's one of the major promises of blockchains. Um, and we're seeing that really start to play out with stable coins these days, uh, connecting things like USDC and other stable coins to other currencies connecting it into the existing financial infrastructure and, and making value movement uh, happen in the same frictionless, low cost, secure way that uh, we have uh, with information exchange today. So until next week, stay safe, uh, uh, stay informed, and we'll see you.